like to open our time in prayer, so let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for just the opportunity to come and sing praises to you, to come and lift your name on high. And I pray that as we're gathered here this morning um, with all kinds of things going on in our lives, weddings, tragedies, pain, family that's sick, Lord, we just uh, thank you that you meet us right where we're at. Lord, I pray that uh, as I speak today that you would just use me through your Holy Spirit and that you would give uh, all of us ears to hear. We love you in Jesus' name. Well, it's good to be back with you again two weeks in a row. Uh, that would be because, not because Lloyd didn't prepare anything, but because I prepared a sabbatical, which is going to make me not around uh, at the end of this month. And so we're uh, trading weeks this month. So it's good to be here with you. I've been going going through the book of Colossians and in my time here with you guys and and really looking at this idea of a search for significance, you know, we discovered last in the last couple of times together that it is Christ in us, our hope for glory, that gives us our true worth, our true value in life. Last week, we looked as Paul instructed the Colossians to be rooted, built up, established in their faith, and abounding in thanksgiving as they went into the trials that they were facing. If you remember, Paul had never met the Colossians. Um, just to review, Epaphras had come to visit him in a Roman prison, and Epaphras is giving him uh, kind of an update on how the Colossians are doing. And one of the things that they were facing was persecution from people that were either false teachers or they were, they were legalists. And uh, I know you don't run into legalism here these days, do we? I don't know about you. How many of you like board games? It's a random question, I know. Uh, are you strategic board game players, or are you just, I just want to have fun? Okay, some, some strategic folks. That's good. I, it, once I learned that kind of a game, it's great. But raising our boys was fun. We have three sons. Uh, but we had one, one of our boys that just notoriously, we would be playing this game. It would be new to us. And all of a sudden, there would be this new rule that came out of nowhere. And, and of course, it would benefit him, right, in, in winning and us losing. We caught on to it pretty quick. We started realizing that when he brought something up, we really needed to consult the rule book and the instructions on how the game was actually played. Uh, thankfully, he's not here. And, and I did tell him that I had worked him into this sermon. And he, you know, knowingly, yeah, I used to do that. But that's basically what legalism is, isn't it? Before we get started in, in the passage that we're going to start in, uh, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. Um, in, in where we left off last week, we left off, we finished in verse 15. But verse 16 kind of points back to something. It starts out with the word therefore. And if you know, then... When you read the word therefore, you have to see what it's there for. So what is it talking about? And I wanted to back up to at least verse 13. Because as we go into this time where Paul's going to be talking to the Colossians about legalism and some of the other groups out there that had these differing beliefs, differing views on how they should even be living as Christians, 
we have to be reminded in what we are to be rooted in. There's a reason we needed to be rooted. There's a reason we needed to be built up. It's because we're going to come across people in our lives that, that believe something different, that may even be very convincing and very resolute in their beliefs. And we have to know what we believe. And so starting in verse 13, which I just wanted to start there because I really felt like that's what Paul was saying, therefore, for. So in verse 13, he, he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And so therefore, because of what Christ did for us, this is not what we have done. This is not what we did to earn it. It's not what we have done to a special set of rules to, that are laid out to where we can earn salvation or earn approval because of what Christ did for us. Let no one pass judgment on you. There's going to be three main thrusts in this passage that I want us to glean from this. If you are resolute in knowing what you know, and this is where it's so important that we study God's word and we understand and grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That phrase is repeated time and time again throughout Paul's epistles. There's a reason that we need to know and have a, a great knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's so we can know what we know and know what we believe and know why we believe it. Therefore, when people come to pass judgment on us, we can know whether they're valid or whether they stand on shaky ground. It says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink and with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. You see, groups were coming into the Colossian to the Colossians, I should say Colossae. It's kind of a weird word to say, Colossae. But they were coming in to encounter these Colossian believers, and they were trying to put, kind of like in, um, in with the Galatians, putting other laws on them, putting other parameters on them, saying, no, it's not just Jesus Christ and Him crucified and salvation through Him. You also have to be circumcised. That's what happened in Galatians. Here in the Colossians, in Colossae, I guess I should just go ahead and say it. <clears throat> they're saying, well, you've got to not eat certain foods and not eat certain, drink certain drinks uh, with regards, and you've got to keep the festivals and you've got to keep the new moons and the Sabbaths. If you remember in the prophets in the Old Testament, the, the Israelites were going through the motions of keeping all these things, but they weren't revering God. And so God could care less whether we keep a new moon or keep a Sabbath or keep all of these legalistic things, these parameters, if he doesn't have our heart. And that's what he really desires. He wants our hearts to be drawn to him, for our hearts to be devoted to him. And so if he doesn't have that, then just forget it. But don't let anyone pass judgment on you. Peter and Paul ran across this very issue back in Acts 15. And this is why, this is really as we think about legalism in our world, it looks different than it did in that day. There's nobody coming into us saying you can't eat pork, uh, at least not in my life. I, I know one person in our church that 
just decides not to eat pork. I don't understand that. Um, it tastes really good. But um, what we deal with mostly, and maybe you guys know of some more things than me, but churches that believe that King James Version is the only version of the Bible that's, that should be read. You know, and as we were growing up, it was you can't play cards, you can't dance, um, no gambling, which I think is probably a good rule. But these things that if you're a real Christian, then you won't do these certain things. And what happens is we try to, uh, we try to change the outside of, what, of who we are to where we look good, uh, look good enough to where maybe God will approve of us. But here in Acts 15, verses 7 through 11, Peter is confronting the Jerusalem council because it's the Jerusalem council that was really wrestling with what is it, what is the process? How does somebody actually become a Christian? In verse 7 it says, and after, um, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. If you remember in Acts 10, Peter has a vision. Right? The sheet gets lowered down from heaven and it's opened up and there's all these unclean animals and Peter hears the voice say, Arise, Peter, kill and eat, which I always took as my life verse. Um, I know, it's sad. It's probably taken way out of context for all the girls I dated that were vegans and vegetarians and animal lovers. That's kind of, kind of my joke. But anyway, God says, Don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. And that was Peter's time to really understand that the gospel was not just for the Jews. It was for the Gentiles. So that's what he's referring to here. He said, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, may having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. And he's talking about the law. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. Peter's laying out the fact that it's not about the law anymore. And legalism, if you look up the term legalism, it is, or a legalist, is someone that places themselves back under the law. This is, no, I'm going to follow all these ordinances, because I'm sorry, and in our human flesh, in our own way of thinking, isn't it normal for us to feel like we have to earn something? Right? You meet a new friend and, and they do something nice for you. And you feel like you have to do something nice back for them. It's a weird uh, attention in new relationships. And here we're supposed to have a relationship with this God, this invisible person that, that exists out there. We can see his effects all around us. We can even feel this change of us in our hearts, but there's still this angst in us that, that causes us to sometimes feel like we have to earn it. I heard a gentleman say one time, he says, the God that you have to get good enough for, and the God that if he really knew how bad you were, he would kick you to the curb, are easier to follow than a God that you have a living, breathing relationship with. And that's because the way that God operates in his relationship with us, it, it goes against all of our human logic. See, humans would say, you need, to, you need to earn my respect. You need to earn my trust. 
or once you've broken that trust, I'm done with you. Isn't that how we work? A lot of times, unless we understand God's grace in our life and that he operates that way, therefore we should operate that way. That's just how we work. And so we, we tend to want to lean toward how we would do things more often than understanding God and his grace and his mercy in our lives and even give in to the suggestion that we should operate that way too. Let's keep looking in verse 17 of Colossians 2 here. And he's referring back to the Sabbaths and the new moons and all of that. He said, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Jesus came and said, I said, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. If the law is the shadow, what does a shadow tell you? Is, is the shadow a clear vision of what the object actually is? No, it's usually distorted. It's usually distorted. If somebody's, if I'm going to walk out into that yard, you're going to see my shadow, but it's probably going to be long and slender. Not a correct representation of what is here, right? But because of the angle of the sun, it's going to make me look tall, which I kind of wish that I was sometimes. But Christ is the substance. He's the one that casts the shadow. And the law comes in and says, you must be perfect because God is perfect. But Jesus is the one that came in to say, you can't pull it off. In Matthew 6, he ends that chapter, maybe it's 5, it's in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you must be perfect, for the Father is perfect. And he's totally setting everybody up to go, that's why I'm here. That's why I came. Because we can't earn it. Because we can't pull it off ourselves. We needed a Savior. Just like in those first three verses we read, he nailed it to the cross. He had to do it. We couldn't do it. And so that's how he's coming in. He is the substance. The next verse here is, let no one disqualify you. Let no one come in and disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, which is basically false humility. I had to look that up. I don't use that word on a regular basis. Asceticism. He's you know, referring to like when he talked about um, how don't fast the way the Pharisees fast to where they had this really grumpy look on their face and they kind of mope around. Are you okay? No, I'm just fasting. Trying to look like overly holy or pious. In other words, don't let them disqualify insisting that you should be like they are or the worship of angels. And I found this one interesting because... What these folks would do is they, they would kind of put themselves on such a low level because they're so humble and they realize that they're just such rotten people that they don't even deserve to worship God, but they'll worship the next best thing, and that's angels. Well, that's dangerous because not all angels have been obedient to God. How many religions do we know of today that came from beings appearing and giving them this new truth? going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by the sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head 
Remember a couple of chapters, or I think it was chapter one, we talked about the meaning of this word, the head. And it's not just that he's our leader, it's not just that he's in charge and we should look to him and hold on to him because he's God. It's, it's really the headwaters, if, we, if you remember talking about that, the continental divide is right around here, right? And rivers come out of the continental divide. And on that side, somewhere down in Colorado, the Arkansas River comes out down there. It's the headwaters of the Arkansas River. And you can probably name some other rivers that get their headwaters here in the Continental Divide. That headwaters is the source. And so he's also we need to also look at this. We need to hold on to the source of our faith. For whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. He's the source. He's the substance that's there. In other words, we don't need to hold on to anything that is not him. We don't, we don't even need to hold on to traditions. We've got some really pretty stained glass windows back here. There's nothing wrong with the stained glass window. It's kind of a tradition. There's some, certain folks that would say, well, you can't have a church unless you have stained glass windows. Or, or a pulpit. All of these things that we kind of think we've got to have these things to, to be doing church. And if you look at the old at the New Testament in, in the beginning of Acts, it's just, no, they just gathered together. They broke bread. They had fellowship with one another. They, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and they prayed together. That's essentially what church is. And it's that environment where we grow. That's where the environment where we are knit together, Right? It's this environment here and the time that you spend together outside of this building on Sunday mornings and fellowship and serving each other and doing the VBS together and helping out at Camp Utmost together if you have that opportunity. That's what knits us together. And not just everybody at the Blackfoot Community Bible Church. I think I got the name right. Or Outdoorsman Church. We're actually just all little representations of God's big C church. And he wants us to be knit together. It's part of what I've enjoyed about being able to come here on Sundays once a month. But holding fast to the head so that we can grow together in God. When you slip into the trap of legalism, you move away from the true gospel. You are putting yourself back in the shackles of the law or possibly even a whole different set of man-made rules and unbiblical expectations. Have you ever told yourself, well, I, oh man, I'm really a rotten Christian. I need to be reading my Bible. Or I miss my quiet time. I'm such a loser. Should you miss your quiet time or should you never miss your quiet time? It'd probably be really good if you didn't. But God doesn't condemn us if we don't. We've got to give ourselves some grace. And that will allow us to show grace towards other people. I'm not saying that reading your Bible, you don't need to. I think you do. I mentioned earlier, growing in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not a legalistic system. You don't have to sit there and say, well, I didn't make it to church uh, four times this month. Cut yourself some slack. Is it a priority? Should it be a priority? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I floated a river uh, on Thursday and Friday, the lower Flathead River. And I really wanted to fish, but I was also the one rowing. 
And that's not a great position to be in if you want to fish, is it? And so what I would do is I would try and get myself in a, our, our boat in, in a good position to where you could just float and I could put the oars up on my rod holders and I could do some fishing. And inevitably, if you could stay in the current, you're good. But when you're not rowing, it's hard to stay in that current. And if you get out on the edges of the current, you know what it wants to do to you? It wants to push you to the side. It's kind of a weird, it, it was really frustrating because I wanted to fish, right? And I would get to the edge of the current and it would push us off into dead water, which I don't know about you, dead water is good for some kinds of fish, but usually if you're in the dead water, you're probably sitting right over where the fish are living that you're trying to cast to, so it doesn't work real well. But the, what I noticed was it would take a lot of effort to, to row to get back into the current because as you're trying to come back in, the current's trying to push you out. And I just had this mental image of what it is to be walking faithfully with the Lord. When you're walking faithfully with the Lord and you're communing with your church family, you're in that current. And when you're in the current, it's really easy to stay in the current because the current just gets you down the river of life. When you get out of the current, it's hard to get back in. And I'm not saying that the church is pushing you back out. That's not the analogy I want you to, to see there. But it's hard to get yourself back into the discipline. There's voices in your head that say, but you could have slept in this morning. But you could have rested more. See, you needed that money for this bill over here. Why did you give it to the Lord? It's all these things that in our minds, when we get out of some of our habits that should just be habits, that it's hard to get back in that flow. And when you're in the dead water, this is also another thing I noticed. I'm totally processing this with Joanna. She's such a sport to listen to me ramble in the car. But the water in the midst of the, of the flow of the river is really clean. If you get over into the dead water, is it clean? No, it's got all this mucky moss and just slimy filth all over the rocks. And, and it's, you know, you're pulling up weeds and you're hooked, you know, on your lures. And what kind of fish live in those kinds of water? Predators. Pike live in the dead, nasty, mucky water. And it just gave me this image that if we can stay in the flow of the river with the body of Christ, holding on to the head as he's knitting us together as a church family, as the church, and we stay in that flow. It's not to say that harm won't come our way. It's not to say that we won't have trials. But there is so much more life in the midst of that than being out on the edges and fighting, going back and forth and back and in John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He is the source of life for us. He is the source of our faith. And so if we're not abiding with, with him, 
staying in that flow, we can't do anything. Verse 20 of second of second Colossians, Colossians 2. If with Christ you died, and this is kind of the third thing here, third lesson. So don't let anyone that blew back my nose. Don't let anybody pass judgment on you. Don't let anyone disqualify you. And here in verse 20, it says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. See, religion and legalism on the surface really gives the appearance that you're cleaning up your act, that you're becoming a better person. And the thing that's actually going to bring transformation into our lives is a thriving relationship with Jesus and his spirit living in us that brings about more and more transformation every day. So Paul's message here to the Colossians is don't hold on to all of that stuff. It doesn't actually do anything for you. It doesn't help in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In the book of Galatians, chapter 5, he addresses this, and I love this. Chapter 5, verse 1, I'm going to read the first verse, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 13, 14, and 15. Galatians 5, 1 says, For freedom Christ has freed us, or set us free. Did you catch that? He didn't set us free so we could be enslaved. He freed us for freedom. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. He's talking about the law. We've been freed from all of that. He, he set us free by dying on the cross, dying for our sins, and giving us his spirit so that we could be free to live for him. That's the transformational power. In verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. This is kind of the opposite antithesis of legalism is license. Those are the people that say, well, I'm saved, so I'll just do whatever I want to do and ask God to forgive me. That's what he's talking about here in verse 13. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. As Christ followers, born-again believers, we have been made alive in Christ. We have been set free from our sins. Our sin was crucified on the cross with Jesus. We must stand firm and not submit again to the yoke of slavery, the yoke of legalism. Whether someone suggests you should, or whether you're willing to put yourself under it, thinking you need to somehow earn it, don't do it. That's a Paul's pleading with the Colossians. Don't get distracted by trying to discipline ourselves to be good enough. Just submit to the Lord. Hold on to Jesus. 
Live in the freedom that Jesus died to bring you. Rest in the truth of who you belong to and that there is nothing you can do to deserve it and there is nothing you can do to cancel it out. That is why it is important to know the truth of God's word. It's so important to see the enemy's games of false information and call them on it. Just like my son who wanted to always change the rules or throw an extra rule in there. I'm not comparing my son to Satan. Okay. But that's what Satan wants to do. That's how Satan plays his game. He comes close to the truth, right? When he tempted Eve in the garden, he didn't come out and and say something totally opposite of what God said. He had to come close to the truth to be able to make it even remotely believable. And so why wouldn't it be somewhat believable to come in and say, well, that's great that you believe in Jesus, but Jesus was a Jew and so he was circumcised and so you need to be circumcised too. Or whatever the legalistic stance is. Satan wants to win and he'll make stuff up and plant it in people's minds telling them to put it on you. That's why it's imperative that we know the truth and spot the lies and stand firm in our freedom. We're going to take communion today. And I don't know who normally passes out the elements, but if you don't mind coming forward, we're going to go ahead and do that. I don't know. Do I do that? Okay, two men got up. I think we're safe.